Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call, did write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of King Ralph to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the McNamara fallacy, also known as the quantitative fallacy. Yeah, so I think this is the only only the second fallacy we've done which is named after someone. Yeah. Because we had the Gish Gallop, Gish Gallop yep. before. Yep. And this one, the McNamara fallacy, is named after Robert McNamara. Right. Who was the US Secretary of Defence from 1961 to 1968. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was previously uh, an executive at Ford. Right. And did very well for Ford in terms of kind of finding stuff that they could measure, measuring right. it. Ah, and okay. uh, and fixing those things that they weren't doing as well. Yeah. Um, he also saved a lot of people's lives by insisting that all Ford cars had seatbelts and things like that, Yeah. Uh, which is good prior to the government requiring it. Um, but then he killed a lot more people because <laughs> he was Secretary of Defence yeah. um, uh, during Vietnam. <laughs> tried to measure that stuff yeah <laughs> yeah he tried Time to measure and that motion stuff. studies yeah lead, and lead to death so the McNamara fallacy is when people focus on something which can be measured mm-hmm. at the expense of possibly the more important stuff so you view the things that are easy to measure as important because you can measure them and that yep. and you can yep. kind of affect change yeah but you kind of dismiss or look at as unimportant the stuff which is harder to measure. Like qualitative stuff. Yeah, yeah. qualitative stuff. Yeah. So when McNamara was in Vietnam and, and they wanted to figure out, how, you know, if they were winning, right? Yeah. Um, basically what he did was, was said, well, we're going to just measure the number of Vietnamese we kill. Yeah. Um, ideally VC, yeah. but... Uh, not necessarily yeah, yes. <laughs> it did yeah. that that bit didn't necessarily kind of go through to the troops on the ground and what that resulted in basically was a culture of soldiers just killing all the vietnamese people they could yeah. and saying yeah they were they were viet cong and that's fine and the higher the number of kills the better for them in terms of like the praise that they got from their higher ups and right. their and then it went up the line basically yeah. and so McNamara was was saying look you know this is this is the vietnamese body count versus the us body count we're winning yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. not that's not how that works no which is why <laughs> when you get the the kind of personal accounts from soldiers on the on the ground that uh, that came back. I was reading one recently. No, there was a set of interviews on sixteen mil. Went over there, age seventeen, no, nineteen, 
and came back and it was his thing that where he'd heard about all this amazing stuff that was going on. So when he got called up, he was kind of okay about that. Got there, it was completely different. You know, they yeah. felt like they weren't winning ever because they, you know, the ground that they would gain one day, they would lose plus some more the next. So, and yet the stories that they would be reading in the newspaper sitting there in Vietnam, in the jungle, were saying they're doing marvellous stuff and we're winning. And he's looking around going, well, we're not. I don't know, you know, what version of winning are they using? Well, obviously it's that one. So, yeah. But, yeah, part of the reason that we're doing this one this week is because Donald Rumsfeld died. Yeah. He has gone into the great unknown unknown. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And... um, and, and Rumsfeld was basically kind of as obsessed with with figures as McNamara was right. as, uh, when he was Secretary of Defence. Yeah. Um, and that led to similar kinds of problems. Not quite, not the same problems necessarily, mm. but just focusing on the wrong stuff. Yeah. This is from a from a book called Where Men Win Glory by John Krakauer. This is about the death of Pat Tillman, the um, former Arizona Cardinals player mm. who was killed in a friendly fire incident and that's what the whole book is about basically is the situation surrounding Tillman's death what had happened is that he, Tillman's company had had left in a couple of Humvees to to cross an area which they wouldn't normally cross in daylight yeah. but they had been told to they they'd been told that there was a deadline that they had to to meet and they were asked in the in the kind of ensuing investigation why did you need to get there so quickly why did you need to leave during daylight, which had been kind of a rule against doing that, really. And Alpha Company First Sergeant Thomas Fuller, who testified under oath, saying, I I think, basically, that headquarters just make these decisions. They just decide. They make a timeline, then we feel we have to stick to that timeline. There's no intel driving it, there's no events driving it, it's just a timeline, and we feel we have to stick with it. And that's what drives that kind of stuff. Wow. Krakauer says, in other words, the sense of urgency attached to the mission came from little more than a bureaucratic fixation on meeting arbitrary deadlines so missions could be checked off a list and tallied as accomplished. This emphasis on quantification has always been a hallmark of the military, but it was carried to new heights of fatuity (laughs) during Donald Rumsfeld's tenure at the Pentagon. Rumsfeld was obsessed with achieving positive metrics that could be wielded to demonstrate progress in the global war on terror, or the illusion thereof. Mm. So... Yeah. Yeah. We normally start with the Trump example, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But 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 Rumsfeld just it seemed like that it was yeah, worth we ought to do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's quite interesting that it's it's saying it's always been a hallmark of the military because I guess that's the one of the things, isn't it, that you concentrate your troops on it. It's a bit like even the First World War, you know, all the stuff even down to Blackadder the fourth or goes forth, where they're not moving for months and months and months. Yeah, yeah. And they can... advance little further than an asthmatic ant carrying <laughs> some heavy shopping. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> forever. And it, and it's all and that's seen to be a, a failure. So it's you know it, so they would send the troops over the top in order to advance an inch or two at the loss of you know tens of thousands at the Somme fam- famously with little or no gain. So otherwise, how do you measure war? 
It makes perfect sense that McNamara <laughs> would work for Ford on time and motion stuff and then become <laughs> def- your head of defence. That's yeah. perfectly reasonable on that basis that you would hire someone who's good at that stuff. <laughs> Without you know, and ignoring without without looking at you know yeah. whether the whether those things that are going to be measured are the important things. Yes, That's the key, exactly. Really. Yes, yes. And of course, we do have Trump examples. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. And our, our Trump, first Trump example is from when uh, when he withdrew from the Paris Accord, basically, mm. and these were part of his reasons. This is actually a couple of clips um, from the same speech, which were separated by some rambling nonsense that I have cut together. Compliance with the terms of the Paris Accord and the onerous energy restrictions that is placed on the United States could cost America as much as 2.7 million lost jobs by 2025. The cost to the economy at this time would be close to $3 trillion in lost GDP and 6.5 million industrial jobs. So... As we always do with Trump examples, we have to first pretend that's true. Yeah, yeah, there we go, yeah. And also that that he's he's seen it before and understands it. Yeah, yeah. Rather than he's just reading it with the emphasis. Yeah. (laughs) And then say, even if that was true. Yeah. What he's doing is focusing on the cost of trying to fix the climate. Yeah. And ignoring the much harder to measure benefits of not fucking the planet (laughs) yeah 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 so he so what you can do is look at all of the things that 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 um getting that reducing your co2 would require you to do and work out the cost of doing all those things and then you can add those up and say yeah okay this is the cost of it it's much much harder to say you know people will have less health problems people will you know people on the coast will not be underwater yeah. you know there, there's lots of people different wide-ranging things yes. yeah, yeah absolutely yeah there's so many wide-ranging benefits including financial ones yeah. but then they're, they're a lot harder to quantify a lot of them are qualitative are, yeah. are just having a better quality of life better uh, environment and things like that so it's much easier to focus on the measurable yeah and and the 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 importance is attached to the quantitative stuff because people are lobbying the government to say, well, you can't cut coal mining because we'll lose all these jobs. Yeah, but weirdly, businesses were lobbying the government to say, no, we want this. This is good. It's actually going to be good in the long term for business yeah um and in fact these numbers that trump gave they did come from a study but they were um a a wildly (laughs) overestimated set of numbers the people who did the study looked at the the, almost the most expensive ways of solving the problems that they were looking to solve and said look this is how much it could possibly cost if we basically didn't do it efficiently at all yeah (laughs) if we just kind of threw stuff at the wall and, and hoped that it might bring yeah. CO2 down, yeah. um, then then it's going to cost a lot of money. Or if we coated um, everything with diamonds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And they and what they didn't do was look at any of the benefits, not just the, um, the qualitative benefits, but the financial benefits. Yeah. They didn't factor in the new jobs that come from yep. um, investing in new 
energy technology and things like that. They didn't factor in the savings in households from having more efficient energy. Yeah. You know, cheaper energy, essentially, yeah. by because by, it's all renewable and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So by basically inflating the numbers, but, but saying because we can measure the money, that's what we should focus on. Trump got to say, um, this, is, this is way too expensive. We can't do it. Yeah. And, and ignore the benefits that are inherent in actually doing something. Exactly. Like. And it, it seems that people, well, people, one person in particular, you know, a Swedish schoolgirl, can kind of <laughs> go, yeah, I can see right through what you're doing. And, you know, can't you? Can, we, we all know the benefits. That's the thing. We all know the benefits. And yet you insist on having to quantify the unquantifiable or ignoring those people who are indeed quantifying the unquantifiable because you're you know literally supporting dinosaur industries or appearing to i mean if trump is ignoring all of those businesses the new businesses that are saying well all those coal miners you you lay off we can take them on as solar panel installers that's not a problem we you know we can take all we need all these people we could do that so who is he appealing to is basically you know, it's the kind of it's the, probably the people who aren't in the energy, energy business but are just people who want America to stay like it has really never been, like it yeah. was yeah. supposedly in the 50s, which, you know, which is, it's the same with Boris. It's sort of Trump lives in this fantasy 1950s America that he was never in and never existed, yeah. and Boris does the same for England. It never existed. And he was never part of it because he's born in the sixties. He's a Beatles kid when it when it was all that, and so nothing like White Cliffs of Dover or any of that. That was old hat by the time he was born. Yeah, um, it's just he belongs to an education system, and Trump belongs to a business system, which perpetuates that as the ideal time. And so and the other thing, of course, that. Um, he's ignoring is not just the benefits that will that would come yeah. from being involved in the Paris Accord and, and helping climate change, but also he's not comparing it to the um, the devastating and incredibly expensive results of not fixing the climate. Yeah, yeah. If you don't do the stuff, yeah. there's also an enormous cost based on that. Yeah. All, uh, all re- again, though. regardless. Yeah. Apart from the fact that that we fuck the planet. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> You know all that all that cost of raking the forests. You know, that yeah, is, you know yeah, how many yeah. rakes do you need? It's very expensive. That. Very expensive rakes. You yeah. know, you can't just have the cheap ones. You've got to have the ones where that yeah. don't snap, and all that. And when you're dealing with an existential crisis, basically, yeah. if it costs less than everything, it's probably worth it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> just literally an existential crisis. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> So our second uh, Trump example actually comes from Don Jr., the next generation of fallacious Trump. He tweeted about Syrian refugees, basically, kind of. He he tweeted an image which says, if I had a bowl of Skittles and I told you just three would kill you, would you take a handful? That's our Syrian refugee problem. Okay. So aside from the... um, the, the mind tortured mind metaphor, metaphor yeah. <laughs> what he's doing is saying how we should deal with immigration and refugees and things like that is 
we should we should look at the countable danger essentially yeah we you know what is what is the risk that we're facing yeah as opposed to the qualitative benefit yep. of taking in people and, yep. and you know not just to the country but also to them obviously yeah um the fact that he's using a ridiculous number <laughs> in claiming yeah. that um that three skittles out of a bowl is the kind of equivalent number of Syrian refugees who are likely yeah. to kill you. Yeah, yeah. Philip Bump of the um, Washington Post did a, a quick kind of back-of-the-envelope calculation yeah. on, on what the real numbers are. He said that from 1975 to 2015, the annual chance that an American would be murdered in a terrorist attack carried out by a foreign-born terrorist mm-hmm. was one in 3,609,709. Wow. That obviously doesn't even narrow it down just to refugees or or even to, refugees to, yeah. from Syria. Yes. That's, yeah. that's any yeah. foreign what's terrorist. The, what's so the basically, portion of the yeah. So it could be Canadians. Well, what, yeah. what he worked out is you could fill uh, one and a half Olympic swimming pools with Skittles. <laughs> <laughs> and, and in there, three of those Skittles would be poisoned. Right. So... So at that point, you're going. Would you then take a handful of skittles from that from that amount of skittles? You can't. Yeah. Get, well, yeah. If there's also benefits, yeah, to that. Or, I mean, sk- having skittles is a benefit, obviously. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, like a fistful of those. But, yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, a, you know, if there's of, any of, if there's any other benefit, goodness, if, if yeah. your your risk is basically kind of is. Um, one he worked out it's it's one in three point six four billion. Wow! That having a skittle from that swimming pool is going to cause you a problem. You could have sixty eight point seven million handfuls before you're likely to get a poisoned skittle. Yeah, which that, frankly is too many skittles, if anything. Well, yeah. I, well, you know, is that possible? But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a lifetime supply. Certainly, I don't know that there's ever too many skittles. I, I think I mean, if you if you're drowning, I tell them, you. Do you want to know what kind of lifetime supply that would be? Yeah, that that is three hundred and thirty thousand calories a day for one hundred and thirty years. <laughs> wow, boy, you'd be fat, jeepers creepers. Well, you'd have, you'd have ah, well, handy that it's in an Olympic swimming pool because if you actually undertook to swim ten strokes uh-huh. through the skittles. And then only at o- least you're burning off some of those exactly, calories. and only o- yeah. only opened your mouth for one of those, you'd be fine. Yeah, it's a combination of lying with statistics, and you know, sleight of hand, doesn't it? It's uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. basically, Don Junior is taking the McNamara fallacy to another level by yeah. by focusing only on something measurable and then horribly mismeasuring it. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. But uh, and it's all about the focus. It's all about the yeah. Look at look at this. And isn't that horrible? And you go, well, yes, it yeah. is. Oh my God, that is actually horrible. It's completely untrue. Anywhere near, if it's anywhere near true, that would be awful. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there's so much focus. You can, you can ignore whether it's true or not. That's the that's the beauty of this fallacy. But we've never talked about the benefit of fallacies before. <laughs> that's what's happening when this fallacy is happening. You're being doubly duped. You know, one that you're being told to focus on this statistic, and in doing so, you're told to never mind about whether it's true or not. Just is this... it would <laughs> if this is true, it would be horrible. God, yeah, it would be. Yeah. yeah. And this tweet also caused the uh, the the people who make skittles mm-hmm. to tweet, um, "Skittles are not people." 
<laughs> nice. Which I think is useful information. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, it was, yeah. <laughs> it, it was taken down because the guy who took the stock photo uh-huh. of the Skittles, which we used, yeah. uh, was a photographer actually from Guildford, where I grew up. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, uh, and who is, also, who is himself a refugee. Wow. And, yeah. and he said, no, th- this photo was used without my, my permission. That's not okay. And Twitter took it down. So Brilliant. That's brilliant, yeah. isn't it? That is that is the equivalent of um, catching Al Capone for tax evasion, <laughs> isn't it? That yeah. Kind of, yeah. The, re- the only reason we took it down is because he's using the photo without permission rather than being <laughs> outrageously xenophobic uh-huh. by lying. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, yeah. that's fine. It's Twitter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're right there, yeah. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics. Corner. We had a recent announcement over here vis-a-vis COVID and... Jim, hat tip to you, because Jim kind of went, I think this is probably an example of that. And then I kind of stormed in with, I think it's the the entirety of the government's response to to the COVID vis-a-vis what they've done for public health. I'm, I'm using a questioning inflection there. <laughs> yeah. um, Question and also quotation marks yeah. and all yeah. the brackets and all kinds yeah, of other things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the line and, you know, yeah, yeah. It's Alex, definitely. Yeah, all that, of it. And whatever that sarcasm thing is. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah the, the little wiggly mouth that they use on Pete Knight's characters, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Um, you kind of, yes, uh, wiggling your hand. Because <laughs> on the 31st of October 2020 after the restrictions that were had been imposed in March 2020 had been relaxed somewhat by the summer, by, by the time the summer arrived, the number of COVID cases had risen so that by the 31st of October, and you can look all this, these stats up, um, there were 24,000 new cases which were predicted to rise to 50,000 a day by the government's medical officers. So in this first clip, you'll hear Chief Medical Officer Chris Whitty talk about that and then we'll hear Boris's response. And we now have around uh, 50,000 new cases a day and that is rising. Look, I'm afraid no responsible Prime Minister can ignore the message of those figures. If we let the lines on those graphs grow, then the risk is that for the first time in our lives, the NHS will not be there for us because the virus is doubling faster than we can conceivably add capacity. The huge exponential growth in the number of patients, by no means all of them elderly, by the way, and the sheer weight of COVID demand would mean depriving tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of non-COVID patients of the care they need. And so now is the time to take action because there is no alternative. We're focusing on the number of cases to justify the lockdown. So he's saying, you know, there is no alternative. We've got to go back into lockdown because the numbers of cases are such that there will be an impact on what the NHS can handle. And the, you know, the subtext is, the unspoken subtext is that the Tories have so decimated the NHS that they can't respond sufficiently quickly to up the capacity of doctors you, you, know, you can't just shove some doctors in um, because there's the the it takes seven years to train a doctor and they've not been funding that f- for a decade and they're restricting foreign doctors coming in so you know it's it's some catch that catch 22 <laughs> i mean so far i'm on board 
with yeah there's there's lots of covid let's absolutely let's yeah but it's what's also interesting yeah. is that he is saying it's not just about the covid it's about uh, you know all these people that are going in they're not just all older people but also it's about the impact on services that are non-covid related so you kind of go well, yeah fair enough that's okay let's focus on the number great we'll have that we've been focusing on cases all the way along until the 5th of july when <laughs> there was a uh, an announcement and I, and this is where the kind of it becomes clear that the McNamara fallacy is being used because exactly the same number of cases is happening. So here's what Boris is saying, but we're not, we're no longer looking at those cases. We're now looking at vaccines. Here's what he says, spot the numbers at the beginning. We're seeing cases rise fairly rapidly. There could be 50,000 cases detected per day by the 19th, and we're seeing rising hospital admissions and we must reconcile ourselves, sadly, to more deaths from COVID. And there's only one reason why we can contemplate going ahead to step four in circumstances where we'd normally be locking down further. And that's because of the continuing effectiveness of the vaccine rollout. With over 45 million adults now having received a first dose and 33 million a second. So the thing is he's saying we've got exactly the same case as was going on in october and we're gonna to have to reconcile, reconcile ourselves sadly to more deaths why hello why do we need to reconcile ourselves um but he's saying okay but it's fine we can do it because of the number of vaccine rollouts because of the the rollout is such that these people and you think well hang on a minute that's not sufficient what we need is a link between people having the vaccine and what that what benefit that's bringing and that and so he goes on to say okay here's the impact that vaccines are having so this is the number we're looking at our vaccines have helped to break the link between disease and death and as the days have gone by it has grown ever clearer that these vaccines are indeed successful with the majority of those admitted to hospital unvaccinated so the proof of its efficacy is that the people who have been hospitalised have been unvaccinated, right? Just hold that in your mind for the moment. So, you know, you kind of think, okay, so we are now focusing on, in a McNamara-esque way, the number that's easy to measure, which is the number of deaths. And sure enough, on October 31st, there were 320 deaths. It peaked at 1,359 on January the 1st. On July the 2nd, which is the date that for which there's the, the latest data, so ahead of the, the 5th, there are only 26. It's a little bit dodgy because the, the deaths are counted, deaths within 28 days of a positive test, so they're like a month behind the numbers yeah, there's, of cases. There's, as always, a lot of data that hasn't come in yet yeah. for those so more the, recent So the number of cases... Yeah. But it's, it's for which those we can deaths, agree it's way, way, way down. low, way, way lower. Yeah. However, what they're conveniently ignoring is the, the number of cases strands. They've stopped measuring that, <laughs> stopped counting that as the, the driver and are now counting number of deaths. But that bit I asked you to remember, which is the people who are hospitalized are the unvaccinated people. 
So the, the number of deaths conveniently ignores that because if the numbers of... Because the problem still occur, exists because if the numbers are rising just as they did in October, October when there was no vaccine... Yeah, and, arguably faster because the Delta variant yeah. is... Yep. is much the, more the, aggressive and transmissible. The Johnson variant, as Starmer nicely <laughs> called it the other day. Um, yeah, quite. So th those people in October were unvaccinated because there were no vaccines then. And the people with COVID who are hospitalised now are unvaccinated, just as they were in October. And the numbers are going up. Won't there still... Be you, what you've got to look at is the is the number of cases versus the number of hospitalizations, surely, which is the metric they were using back in October to justify a lockdown. Not that, and I would say that the same metric is going to happen because the people who are hospitalized by his own admission are the people who are unvaccinated. They're going to suffer just like the unvaccinated people did in October, and and cause an impact on the NHS, blah, 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 blah. All of those reasons, which are now we're yeah. not worried about gonna, at all. I'm going to offer some nuance, which is yep. partly defensive of Johnson and partly excoriating of him. So, <laughs> well, that's got a balanced journalistic uh, approach. That's yeah. good, yeah. Um, so first of all, I would say there is a much smaller reservoir of unvaccinated people right now than there was before. True, yep, yep. Um, because so, people have been vaccinated. So while, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. So while the cases can spread through the unvaccinated people, yep. the likely impact on the NHS is much lower. The severity of the disease, thanks to the vaccine, certainly yep. in, in vaccinated people, is much lower yep. and the likelihood of being hospitalised and so on is much yep. lower. However, by focusing... Even if they were focusing on cases, even if they, but I mean, he's not, he's not now, he's no, given up on that. Up but, but, but focusing on the countable things of cases, hospitalizations, and deaths, which is the three things they've been looking at the whole time, yeah. they are not looking at all at things like long COVID. Yeah. Things like long term health effects yeah. from people who get the disease, but, but, and maybe hospitalized, maybe not, but don't die from it. Mm. That is a, an impact on people's quality of life. Yep. It may potentially shorten people's lives. Yep. We don't know the, the long-term um, problems with it yet, but we do know that it is a thing that, that appears to damage some people's organs. Mm. But that's a lot harder to... That's the qualitative yeah. bit. Yeah. That's the bit that no, they're not they're measuring. They're not measuring, really. no, because it's They're certainly it's not putting those numbers out it's there. It's an inconvenient yeah. truth. Um, yeah. And that's the problem is with the, with the cases increasing. Yep. dramatically yeah. and this new variant which is more aggressive and it is spreading among unvaccinated people mm. that is going to lead to a lot more of those kinds of problems yep. and that is why I think that as horrible as lockdown is yeah. and as many problems as it's caused yep. it's still necessary or or measures at least but perhaps not complete lockdown but, but being sensible yeah yeah part of the reason is Actually, there's been a change of personnel in the health department. More on that later. <laughs> and uh, um, Matt Hancock's been replaced by Sajid Javid, former Education and Home Secretary. And Sajid is famous, famously resigned because Cummings fired his assistant. So he's kind of a he's a he's a uh, he's a danger to Boris, and, it's, and he sees himself as a potential prime minister. Hancock never did, 
And I think Sajid is bullishly out to impress the senior Tories who are calling for an end to lockdown. Hancock was more cautious, and that's why we get I get the impression that Hancock was the kind of steadying hand, much as we hate the toady git. He was the he was the steadying hand for this kind of bullish, you know. Let's get let's just let the bodies pile up behavior and so and Sajid in in the eyes of senior Tories is maneuvering himself to be not Boris and therefore to be more attractive to the kingmakers who are kind of a bit disappointed in Boris and his namby pamby looking after. citizens you know and his electorate bodies pile up yeah maneuver exactly yeah you know yeah yeah too much at least (laughs) with (laughs) but i'd like yeah but i'd like to remind you what boris said given all of those numbers in october ahead of lockdown two this is what he said look i'm afraid no responsible prime minister can ignore the message of those figures which logically means that he's not a responsible prime minister yeah that's the only yeah. real answer that's yeah. possible we kind of knew that but it's nice to have a watertight yeah. proof and then here's finally a note that boris made in the same october speech it's crucial to grasp this that the general threat to public health comes not from focusing too much on covid but from not focusing enough from failing to get it under control. So there you have it. He is, by his own admission, a general threat to how public many, health. How many double negatives were in that? I it, know, yeah. It, it comes, comes not on. from focusing... It comes not from focusing too, too much, much on, COVID, on COVID, but from, from not focusing enough. enough from failing to yeah. get it under yeah, control. Yeah. yeah. What? I still... That's no. the second time I've read it. Not a clue. No. No. So he's not kind of... So it's a bit like Captain Hindsight. Actually, he is general threat. You know, he calls Starmer Captain Hindsight, but he's actually general threat. And it's just... Yeah, there is McNamara all over the bloody place. I, I see it now. Like long We are the Rolling Stones there with 2,000 light years from home. (laughs) In the fallacy in the world, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week comes from uh, John Oliver in a segment on last week tonight where he was dealing with standardised tests. Many states now tie teacher pay to performance using one particular approach. It's called value-added analysis, rating teachers based on student test scores. For instance, if a student who ranked in the 60th percentile test higher at the end of the year, the teacher gets a better rating. If the student falls, the teacher's rating falls. Okay, well, that explains why many teachers' classroom decorations that used to read, believe in yourself, now say, don't f*** me on this. (laughs) Don't f*** me. And... And while the idea of tying teacher pay to student improvement sounds great in theory, here's how it can work in practice. 
I have four students whose predicted scores were literally impossible. One of my sixth grade students had a predicted score of 286.34. However, the highest a sixth grade student can earn is 283. The student did earn a 283, incidentally. Despite the fact she earned a perfect score, she counted negatively towards my evaluation. <laughs> yeah. And that, yep. yeah, that is insane. Yeah. It's by, and, and that's the problem with, with focusing. And I mean, it's an old thing of, of teaching to the test, mm. but, um, but it's, it's based on the fact that that's the only metric that is easy to measure. Yeah. When you look at generally how kids are doing and, you know, if, if particular children are, are excelling or if children from difficult backgrounds are managing to achieve less than yep. the average but better for them yeah. or something like that, it's, yeah. it's, you know, there's, these things are really difficult to measure mm. student by student. So they standardize it. They give you, yeah, these value added scores, which don't work for all cases. And Michael Rosen, the uh, UK poet, former children's poet laureate, mm -hmm. um, who writes a lot about children's education, did an article in The Guardian about, about testing and about targets for teachers and things like that. And he had a comment on his Guardian article from a, a teacher right. who said that they had been visited by people from the Department of, for Education. Yeah. Um, there's a, like a small village school and um, because and it was a good school, they scored well. But she said to the to the Department for Education people that they wouldn't do as well this year because they had taken in three uh, students who had been excluded from like multiple other schools. Right. And had had problems at home. They'd had, you know, all kinds of issues. Um, but they were doing really well. They were responding to the teaching they were getting. They were engaged in the classroom and so on. Yeah. But but you know, it's the their scores are going to bring the average down because they're not as good as some of the other students yeah. they've got. And the the education department people were saying, well, you've you've kind of let the school down basically because wow. your scores are going to be lower than than they were yeah. last year. So yeah. that's not going to do as well for you. When you come, they they don't they don't yeah. focus on the well being yeah. of children. Yeah, they focus on what are your scores? Yep. What scores can yep. you get? You know, how do you measure that a school is a good school? I mean, in in the UK, we had Ofsted that measure uh, how well schools perform, and they have a lot of measurements, but they seem to concentrate on you know how many students did they get to Cambridge, you know that kind of stuff. But they also they focus. I mean, they do. They, they do, do the look at lots of lots yeah. of different things, yeah. but they do it all in one yeah. one or two days. Yeah. Basically, they come to your school and have a look at what mm. they can what they can see. And yes, for for schools which are really genuinely not achieving and don't know how to achieve or can't, you know can't pull it together yeah. in time for the Ofsted people to come, yeah. um, that does catch some problems. Mm. But what it tests in often better schools is their ability to show what they're doing rather yeah. than yeah. do the thing. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, what they're often one of the things the Ofsted people will test is, you know, looking at the books and seeing how often they're marked, mm. uh, which yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. that is, I think quite unlikely to be the thing that makes a child love history. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. How often their history yeah. book is marked. Well, that's, that's the problem, um, isn't it? Because, because what they're doing in three days, they're going to inspect the school. They're going to do the things that are easy to measure in three days. Exactly. So yeah. you get a distorted view of the things that, 
you need to be doing. We're just, we're just, and so what they're doing is just teaching to the test, and it's the off. Well, that's the, the thing. When you know, school. when you know what you're being measured on, yeah, that that's yeah. the thing yeah. you focus yeah, exactly. on. The thing that's yeah. easily measured becomes the more important thing. Yeah. In um, this part of this came out of uh, George W. Bush's No Child Left Behind mm. uh, policy in 2002, um, and that. Uh, increase the amount of testing that was happening mm. in schools. Uh, one of the things that came from that, in New York at least, was that um, they were testing uh, fourth grade and eighth grade reading levels and math levels. In New York, Mayor Bloomberg created a system where they had mandatory tests in the third grade and the seventh grade, mm-hmm. and students who failed those tests were held back. Wow. So they, so the, so if you weren't good enough at reading or math yep. in third or seventh grade you didn't make it into fourth grade or right. eighth grade right to take the, the, the national yeah, standardized yeah, yeah. tests so you only which got meant in all of the kids passed. in the fourth grade and the, the eighth grade yeah. were people the better yeah. performing ones yeah and and so and and that is because he knew what was being measured yeah yeah. And when you do that, you game the system. You don't yep. focus on what's best for the children. You don't focus on, you know, all of the important things that make a difference in mm-hmm. children's educations. You focus on uh, on getting good marks on the things that they're testing you on. And, and you give them more importance than the important stuff, which is harder to measure. Yep. So our second example yep. comes from the muppet christmas carol <laughs> my second yeah. favorite christmas film yeah and what's your first uh <laughs> die hard obviously oh, oh yeah yeah of course yeah right yeah excuse me mr scrooge but it appears to be closing time very well i'll see you at eight tomorrow morning um, tomorrow's christmas Eight thirty then um, if you please, sir, half an hour off hardly seems customary for Christmas Day. How much time off is customary, Mr. Cratchit? Uh, why, uh, the uh, whole day. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The entire day? No, no, that's a frog's idea. If you please, Mr. Scrooge, why open the office tomorrow? Other businesses will be closed. You'll have no one to do business with. It'll waste a lot of expensive coal for the fire. Yes, that's definitely a It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every December the 25th. <laughs> so, much like Trump, Scrooge yeah. only sees things in terms of money. Yeah. So the only way Bob Cratchit can convince, can convince him that his employees should have Christmas Day off is that it'll cost him. Yeah. It's not worth it financially for him to open up the office. Because there's nobody else doing to do business with and you'd just be using up coal yeah, <laughs> to heat the place. Yeah. Scrooge focuses, this is part of his problem, yeah. on, on something measurable. He focuses on the thing that, you know, he can count how much money he has. He can count how much people owe on their mortgages and stuff like that. He absolutely ignores all of the qualitative stuff. He ignores all of the, you know, the joy that people get from family and from Christmas yeah. And, yeah. and all of the other stuff that he later learns. Spoiler. Yeah, uh, in the film. <laughs> Spoiler. It's been 100, 150 years. If you've not read it by now, you know, yeah. far be it from us um, to uh, spoil the joy. But yeah, after I after I thought of this example, I thought, yeah, I mean, basically, it's just Trump, isn't it? It's Trump yeah, yeah, screwed. yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So our final example in this section is uh, is medicine in general, right? <laughs> to right. To some extent, yeah. But but specifically, yeah. 
times when um, perhaps the thing that is is measured isn't necessarily the best thing, but it's easy to measure. Uh, there was a 2012 paper um, by a doctor called Christopher Booth who uh, was looking at a, a thing that is uh, common in looking at the outcomes of treating metastatic solid tumours, mm-hmm. which is a, a thing called progression-free survival, or PFS. Right. And that's what they were measuring in these in trials for new drugs for uh, dealing with these kinds of tumours. Uh, PFS is um, the length of time during and after the treatment of a disease that a, that a patient lives with the disease, but it doesn't get worse. Mm-hmm. So what they're looking at is how long does my patient survive in cases where the um, the cancer doesn't get worse, the tumour doesn't grow. Right. Um, and that's what they were they were looking at and deciding whether these drugs were good or not. Mm-hmm. Well, things they weren't looking at, apart from something else which is pretty measurable, which is overall survival, yeah. <laughs> was yeah. was the quality of life. Right. They weren't looking at whether pe- whether the um, tumor got smaller or if it if the people's uh, quality of life improved. They had less pain or, or yeah. more maneuverability or anything like that. The 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 thing that they were very focused on, and this is in many um, different uh, trials that were done for different drugs, was this PFS mm-hmm. number because it's an easy one to measure. It is um, you can you have a number of people you can say well their their cancer hasn't got worse they um, are still alive at this point yeah therefore this is our percentage this is our number um, for this particular drug. And new treatments came out, and new new drugs were approved based on this um, category. Those drugs may not have been better hmm. necessarily. They may not have had a, a more significant effect on the patients as as other drugs. But they weren't measuring the the kinds of things that I think, as as a patient, you might be more yeah, interested yeah. in. Yeah, is you know how is my life going to change? How is it going to improve? Is it just going to if it's shit at the moment? And and all you're measuring is how long I can stay at this level yeah. of shit. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not a great thing for me. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't. But yeah. But but that wouldn't enter into their equation. It was just how long do you survive after having this? Yeah. You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't measure that stuff? Yeah. Kind of in that report, I recall there, there's another bit about uh, the mortality rate in a hospital in Stafford, and I can remember hearing about that on the radio recently and they were talking about well they they were just measuring the wrong thing and giving a really bad report to this particular hospital was saying because there were high mortality rates and actually they it was because they were miss they were missing the fact that they were not measuring people who had gone through pal- it was about the yeah yeah what they weren't what one of the things in that study that they weren't looking at was avoidable deaths. Yes. Yeah. They were looking at just total deaths. Yeah. Yeah. Um and and different hospitals have different um specialisms yeah. and and have different kinds of patients that come to them di- patients at different uh stages in their diseases and they specialize in different things like that. So so a hospital that treats people who are ultimately more likely to die. Mm isn't necessarily a worse hospital yeah, yeah. than a hospital that treats people at earlier stages of, of illness or, or things like that or don't yeah. specialise yeah. in, in essentially terminal things um, who have lower overall death rates. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so it's, yeah, measuring things like that. If you're, if you're not really 
that's the problem. Basically, if you are um, if you're choosing something to measure and you aren't doing it with an with a view to improving things overall mm. you're you're looking you're choosing the measurement thing because it's easy to measure yeah then that's where the problem comes yeah. yeah yeah um yeah if if you are if you're carefully looking at a situation and thinking okay what are things that i can measure here that if i can improve them will actually have an overall benefit mm. that's okay mm. That's not a problem. So we're going we're gonna to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Mark has to figure out which one is fake news. Yeah, well, I think actually the important thing to focus on here is, is just the number of, one, of times that I've got it right. That's, that's, that's the way we should measure it. That's the true measure of performance. Forget about how many times we've played this, but let's just look <laughs> at how many times I've won it. And I mean, I can. I both are reasonably easy to measure, so yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, I, what what we're not measuring is how badly wrong you get it sometimes. No, true. Where, you, where you're like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure that's right, and it's yeah, it's like woefully like, out. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. yeah, I think it's a given that when I get it wrong, <laughs> it's spectacularly wrong. Um, <laughs> Yeah, not only do I choose that. Well, yeah, but but that yeah kind of comes down to. I guess the the opposing measure is how good you are at it. That's yeah, that's yeah, that's measure. pretty pretty tricky to measure that. Yeah, well, not really, because I just just count how many times I didn't get it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> just go yeah, thirty six times. Thirty six, yeah, yeah. You've got it. Well, you've outsmarted me. Yeah, these ones are yeah. from basically Trump has decided to sue big tech. Um, social media because he's butthurt that he can't post on facebook and and twitter anymore right so he's decided to sue them and claim that they are that they need to follow the first amendment rules like as if they were the government okay um and he's found a bunch of of lawyers who are prepared to actually do this right because because he's paying the money personally well he probably is no let's face it (laughs) but 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 they're like you know just i think there's a real estate lawyer and a and a personal personal injury lawyer and people like that they're not right. they're not like the they're not sydney powell let's even put it like that. Put, it, <laughs> put it like that let's put it that way yeah yeah they're not even rudy giuliani yeah no, let's they're put not, it that way. jesus they're yeah. not they're not up to trump's usual standard of <laughs> oh lawyer. my god yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 and consequently this is going absolutely nowhere of course but he's already fundraising off the back of it okay. so there's that but this was from a press conference that he held uh announcing his his lawsuit against twitter and facebook and the others right and it was batshit as usual Mm -hmm. so these are some things he said (laughs) number one but we are the majority side by a lot i believe we're the majority side by far more than anybody would understand you just have to take a look at what happened in recent elections and add up the right numbers you will see a majority like you wouldn't believe because nobody can believe what some of the things that are being said are (laughs) nobody believes that (laughs) right okay you wouldn't believe because nobody can believe you wouldn't believe it because nobody can believe what some of the things that are being said are that is brilliant that's something that elmo would say (laughs) okay Right. Number two. Right. Yeah. 
Then it was finally revealed that this was most likely the truth, that it came from the lab, and it was a small little story, but when I said it, it was like a weapon went off, a major weapon. I won't use the word weapon, because I never used the word nuclear, but we have to be careful with our leadership, because if we don't have a proper leadership, we're in a very perilous state. So we don't use the word nuclear. I never use it, okay? Never use it. I never said it. That's called disinformation. Whoa, okay. That's an amazing bunch of non-secretors. That's fantastic, right? And number three... What do you get from most likely truth to, to, to <laughs> nuclear? Okay, right, yeah. Number three, and you've got doctors, great doctors and other medical people getting banned from Twitter and Facebook or even shadow banned. They call it shadow banning. That's when they let you post, but your posts are, nobody can see your posts. <laughs> and these nurses and doctors, they got banned for talking about a thing we used to hear a lot about, a thing called hydroxychloroquine. And all of the most recent tests show very strongly that that works. Mm. Okay. <sighs> right then, I, I really want number one to be true, just because I want to hear that sentence. You wouldn't believe because nobody can believe what some of the things that are being said are. What some of the things that are being said are. That's brilliant. I used to, I used to know. I, I knew a guy when I was working in a theatre group who would say the thing of it is is. <laughs> and that's what that reminds me of. Okay. And then the the thing about the escalation from truth through to leadership and nuclear. Okay. That, uh, yeah. That... It's number two, by the way, he's talking about COVID. I don't know if oh, that okay. was clear. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. That makes it a lot clearer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, the, the lab thing. Right, OK. OK. What do you know about shadow banning? Mm, OK. OK, I think then that... That number three is the one you made up. The doctors, great doctors, other medical people. I think okay. that... Yeah. So out of the other two, yeah. which are you more convinced by? I, I'm i more convinced by the... Can, nobody can believe what some of the things that are being said are. Number one, I okay. think... I hope... I hope... Because I, <laughs> I just want to hear him say it. And if he doesn't say it, I would need you to say it in his voice. <laughs> well, number one yeah. is... Yeah. Real. Oh, my God. But we are the majority side by a lot. I believe we are the majority side by far more than anybody would understand. You just have to take a look at what happened in recent elections and add up the right numbers. You will see a majority like you wouldn't believe because nobody can believe what some of the things that are being said are. Nobody believes that. What the fuck does he not, say? Not sure. It's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. It just kind of he goes from we are the majority side... <laughs> To I believe with the majority side, so that you know, it's kind of that's reverse accelerated truth, because he kind of but gone, more oh, well, than anybody would understand. I mean, I know I, I know we did a whole episode about hyperbole, yeah, but but what is a number that that literally nobody could, could understand because it, it's so out of a hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, any well, when it comes to his elections, you just have to look at what happened and add up the right numbers. Majority, yeah. because nobody, you, 
It's a majority nobody like you wouldn't believe things. because nobody can believe what some of the things that are being even he paused and kind of went, yeah. what, where have I gone? Yeah, he was like, I've got I've got no where idea what I'm saying. He just kept going. And nobody believes that. It's just what what? And people are I yeah. There was there was no context here that I could have added. <laughs> yeah. And I hope there's nobody in the audience. That, and, they, and if there are, they're just looking at each other going, what the fuck did he just say? Yeah. yeah. And they all put their hands up like kids in, a, in, a, you know, in an assembly. They just go, put their hands up because they've got questions. Go, yeah, yeah. What, what did you just say? I don't understand. So say that again. Whoa. Okay. So well, that was great. Think- I liked him saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You also yeah. think the number two, where he claims never to have said the word nuclear, yeah, um, is true. I think because he he would he would definitely deny that because he has, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and number yeah. two yeah. is yeah. real. Oh my god! Then it was finally revealed that this was most likely the truth that it came from the lab, and it was a small little story. But when I said it, it was like a weapon went off, a major weapon. I won't use the, the word weapon because I never use the word nuclear. But we have to be careful with our leadership because if we don't have the proper leadership, we're in a very perilous state. So we don't use the word nuclear. I never use it, okay? Never use it. I never said it. That's called disinformation. Brilliant. I didn't know that. Remember that the stand-up comic that did... Trump speeches as though he were drunk. It was you know the the, the woman comic. That's just oh, yeah, yeah, she's yeah. got to do that one. Sarah Cooper. Yeah, that's yeah. It is that he just? I don't know what the fuck no. he's talking about. Well, he's going... I know what he's talking about with the first thing. Yeah, because with the because he is he has been saying that it's now been proved what he was claiming that it came from the lab right. in Wuhan. Yeah, yeah, which it absolutely it has. has not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and also is very disingenuous yep. in that yep. a lot of the, one of the things that lots of people idiots were saying um <laughs> in the beginning of the whole problem yeah. was that it was deliberately manufactured and released yep. by the lab in wuhan yeah that was the lab leak theory yep. as of january 2020 or february 2020 yeah and that was what he was has been pushing occasionally when he's remembered to. Yeah, yeah. That that you know it was China did it. Yeah. It was it's all their fault. China. Yeah. At the time, what everyone was saying, all the people, all the non-idiots were <laughs> yeah. saying, yeah. was no, that's not true. Mm-hmm. At no point did anyone say it definitely didn't come from the lab. Yeah, there were there were various theories on where it might have come from, and and they were never really able to track it down. What they did say was that all of the things that you need to have an outbreak, a zoonotic yeah. um, outbreak, where where something crosses from animals to humans, were in place yeah. in uh, the Wuhan lab. area. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. know, uh, not 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 in the lab, oh, but in the, the, the yeah. in the area. Yeah where they thought maybe it came from a wet market yep. at one point yep. maybe you know there were there were animals which they knew had this you know bats which they knew had this disease other yep. animals potentially um you know it 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 started obviously in this area they they knew that there were and people in the same vicinity as the animals and things like that all of the things that they needed and from in the first few months all of the uh kind of 
DNA testing and, mm -hmm. and um, the modeling that they were doing was showing what at first they thought, well, maybe it's, you know, it could potentially kind of look man-made. If you look at it from mm -hmm. a certain angle, they, they went, oh, no, okay, we've seen basically every element of this disease we've seen before yeah. in other stuff. Yeah. We just haven't seen this one before. Yeah. But we've seen all of the parts. We know it's it's absolutely um, likely that it occurred just in nature and mutated and, and then crossed over to humans. Yeah. That's not to say that it's not possible that the um, outbreak started in the lab or, or came from the lab because that lab was dealing with this mm -hmm. virus yeah. because they are in the area where the bats have that virus yeah, yeah. and they yeah. study bat viruses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, however, everyone who knows anything about the lab has been saying it's incredibly unlikely. There was an Australian scientist who worked at the lab who, who just came out this week or last week um, who said, look, it's, it's basically... You know, you have to it, when you leave the lab, you have to have a chemical shower and then a personal shower. Mm -hmm. um, you, you know, there are so many safeguards, mm -hmm. uh, things going in, things coming out. It's just incredibly unlikely. It's not impossible because someone could have accidentally got infected yeah. and then they they could have infected other people. But it's it's incredibly unlikely. Yeah. Um, even she isn't saying it's definitely not true. But what the scientific community as a whole has said is. We haven't been able to find how it started. Yeah. We thought by now, and similar to the, our last episode, you know, if we were going to find it by now, if we were going to find it, we'd have found we'd it have by found now. It by now. They, yeah. they, they thought by now they would have figured out yeah. um, where it happened and um, exactly what happened, but they haven't, which lends slightly more um, credence to the possibility that it started in the lab. Right. Because they haven't found it in the wild in exactly the the ways that yeah. they expected. Um, but that is very, very different from saying it was um, man, it was it's most man likely yeah. the lab. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And and completely different from saying it was deliberately released by the lab, which was which was what the original lab theory was. Yeah. In good news, other news, <laughs> the, uh, the anti-vaxxer in my life um, was reporting to me that several of her uh, acquaint people of her acquaintance were talking about the lab theory and she was going oh my god they're really going on about it jesus christ look at this and then they mentioned the illuminati and the cabal and i'm <laughs> going aha you have learned well grasshopper <laughs> so she's sending stuff back and and actually she said of course the absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence went, oh my god that's yeah yeah so things are looking up uh -huh. yeah excellent <laughs> so number three is as you suspected oh. fake news Aha! Um, Aha! he did he did talk about this kind of thing yeah. uh he talked about doctors being being banned for pushing hydroxychloroquine and he did claim yeah. that the that recent studies all show that it works basically which right. again is a complete lie <laughs> right <laughs> the the most recent thing i could find yeah. uh was a, a meta-analysis that was done in april of this year um which says uh it's a met collaborative meta-analysis of 28 published or unpublished randomized controlled trials including 10,319 patients right. it showed that treatment with hydroxychloroquine was associated with increased mortality in covid19 patients oh. ah 
So quite the opposite yeah, result. Yeah, exactly the opposite of what uh, Trump says. What Trump is wanting yeah. to be true. Oh, wow. And all in all so, under the the notion of of suing big big tech. Yeah, ultimately this is kind of part of his lawsuit is saying, you know, you shouldn't be censoring doctors for giving health information. Uh, to which <laughs> the the big tech lawyers will rightfully say it's wrong health information <laughs> yeah. which is going to get people killed. killed. Yes, we yeah. should be doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, which means I've won. Which means he won. Oh, yes. oh I forgot about that. Yeah. I'm so in, in, <laughs> broad and enjoying the um, the fact that he would say, can't believe what some of the things that are being said are. But, uh, <laughs> yay! You see, it all comes down to if you just focus on the positive numbers, <laughs> then it can change the whole thing, change the game. There you go. Brilliant. Yay! So it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Indictments are Not a Logical Fallacy because yep. the Manhattan District Attorney's Office have in, have charged the Trump Organization and Alan Weisselberg, yep. uh, the CFO for the Trump Organization, with various felonies, Yeah, which is, which is awesome and probably just the beginning of... Yep. Uh, of other indictments and other charges that they will be bringing. Various um, long-standing yes, yeah. yeah. They allege in the indictment a 15-year-long yep. criminal scheme of systematic yep. fraud, uh, which includes basically um, benefits to, to just Weisselberg himself in, yep. in the amount of over $1.7 million. Yeah. So it's basically all that all that stuff about the you know the Al Capone idea <laughs> that actually we'll get this guy who's a you know it's a mass he's responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people and uh, uh, crimes against humanity. We're just going to get him on tax evasion yeah. and fundamentally, yes, you think you know, oh that's why he didn't release his tax records through the entirety of his presidential term. Yeah, although they did keep quite extensive records. Of the things that they paid Weisselberg kind of I know, off the books. I know that's always that weird is, thing, isn't it? Why yeah. would you? Why would you keep careful account of <laughs> the paying off your accountant to hide how much you've got in your account? Why? Really why? Do, why does that happen? You do that stuff. Have you not watched any gangster movies? For I mean, we've said it Trump? before, but the thing about Trump is not just that he's a criminal, but he's, he's such a bad criminal. Really so bad at the really crime. Bad. It's so weird. Yeah. You would think it's if inept. you were a billionaire, yeah. if you were running, um, you know, this huge company yeah. and you could hire as, as you know, many criminal people as you want, basically, yeah. Yeah. You, you would think some of them would know how to do it in a way which wasn't so obvious as yeah. soon as someone starts looking at their books or looking into it at all. You, you'd think that criminals by now would have found a way to hide it better. Yeah. Well, I think that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? Because they're all just chances and chumps. That, that have happened upon it. I mean, look at Rudy, for heaven's sake, that, that they've just happened upon, they've fallen into good times. They are a bit like Biff Tannen. They're not, he's not the sharpest tool in the box. He kind of go, oh yeah, this is great. I found that I've happened upon this thing. He had one good idea, which was to steal the thing and take it back, you know, give it to the younger, go back in time, give it to the younger guy. And, and that's it. That was it. Everything else just, rubbish and trump 
hasn't even had one good idea. Apart from, and this, well, let's and defraud another... everybody in a systematic <laughs> way. There's another thing that keeps coming back, which is multiple times when something bad happened during when, when Trump was actually president. Um, yeah. His staff members would, would give a version of events and then he would say, ah, oh, that's not what happened. Here's what yeah. really happened and make it much, much worse. Yeah. Yeah. And that's essentially what's happening here again because Weisselberg has pled not guilty. Right. And, and it looks like he isn't cooperating at the moment. Right. But, but basically every member of the Trump family has spent the last week since this came out going, yeah, we totally did that. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, Because yeah. they're not in, currently under indictment. In so order just... to kind of distance themselves from him, they're kind of going, oh, yeah, no, actually, yeah, we did do that. He's, he's yeah. lying. If he's not telling you the things <laughs> that we did do, I'll tell you that we did. And they're in, in a kind of misguided way, misguided attempt to shift more blame onto him. Yeah. So they're well, kind of not going... even that, because they're not... They're not saying, oh, you know, yes, we've seen, we saw Weisselberg do this. I mean, a couple of the things that have been alleged by um, District Attorney Cy Vance is they paid for Weisselberg's grandchildren to go to a private school, $360,000 of of the book's money um, in private tuition for Weisselberg family members, um, and a $200,000 Mercedes for Weisselberg and his wife. Right. Um, and and yeah. these were off the books. They, you know, weren't expensed properly, so they didn't pay uh, taxes on this stuff. Yeah. Don Jr. went Therefore on TV. Would just disappear. Yeah, 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 absolutely. yeah, yeah. Don Jr. went on TV and said, uh, "Yeah, my dad paid for his um, Weisselberg's grandkids' uh, private school. He's a nice guy. He does these things for his employees. He looks after his employees. <laughs> my but dad you know, did that. He said, yeah." yeah. He's that's a great a guy. Mission. That, there you go. That's just that's that's <laughs> and it's videotaped in front of you know several hundred people. Yeah. Depending on which channel it's on, obviously not GB News, but yeah. Is it, wow. Part of this kind of aggrandizement gene that the Trumps have that they've got to say, yeah, we're really good at being bad. Let me tell you how good we are. Yeah. Because they can't stand that people don't know how ev- how marvellously evil they are. Yeah, it's, it's basically saying, you're goddamn right, I ordered the code red. Yeah. That, it's, yeah. It's, and, and Trump stood up in front of a rally in Florida uh, the other week and yeah. said, oh, you know, they're, they're talking about silly things like the, you know, whether I, I get paid for my, for him to have a car. Yeah. Um, and then, you know... That I did that it's not on the tax forms and and who here knows do you even need to put that on the forms and stuff like that and yeah. this is the guy who like four years ago was saying I know tax law better than any human ever yeah and yeah. that is not me being hyperbolic that is what he said <laughs> he actually said yeah yeah um, and now he's just like going oh you know who can remember who to can remember? to put yeah, hey, every little Mercedes yeah. that they pay yeah. for for their staff members on their tax forms and the audience go yeah you're right stick it to the man you know ignoring the fact that he is the man he's in charge of the men and the 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 men that do the tax stuff means that your kids get free education and 
know, yeah, and basically all, everyone in that audience is paying all their taxes or yeah. the IRS, IRS is coming after them, putting them in prison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and well, meanwhile, he's going, yeah, who knew you had to put $200,000 worth of Mercedes for your chief embezzler chief on your tax form? Meanwhile, Eric Trump yeah. is is not worried that he is going to be uh, indicted. Okay. Um, because he says that that he he yeah well there is that because that's how Don Jr. got away with um you know collaborating with the Russians <laughs> yeah just, being too stupid to understand stupid what law he was going bring. on yeah but um but he says that they're not in danger of being indicted because um he Don and Ivanka yeah. lead incredibly clean lives um, okay and and he also invoked our last uh, fantasy and said if they yeah. if they were going to indict us they would have done so done it already yeah. Um, you know, if they had enough, basically, he said, if they had yeah. enough to to um, they would have got us to prosecute now. them, they would yeah. have yeah, they would have done it already. Yeah. Which is again, as we said last time, not how this works. Not how it works. No, because Weisselberg could absolutely give them more information, and and Weisselberg's yeah. uh, daughter-in-law, as we said on a yeah. previous episode, is absolutely cooperating. Yeah, yeah, because kind of she is she hasn't mouth. done anything wrong. Nope. <laughs> No, so she's um, going. She yeah, yeah, this happened. That happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's yeah. kind of she is she's cooperating with the media and the prosecutors. Yeah. And so at the very least, them. she's co- she's <laughs> collaborating or corroborating rather. She's corroborating evidence that they've all. She has got. the receipts, literally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They go. Yeah, I've got all these bits of paper <laughs> with dates and amounts and names on. Are they any use? Yeah, yeah. Mad. So. Watch this space Watch and we shall find space. out who who will be next. Maybe we need to start an indictment pool. <laughs> yeah, hey, good idea. Yeah, let's do that. And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. We recorded our last episode a bit earlier in the week than usual, and by the time we released it, all the news happened. Everything. <laughs> the DOJ sued Georgia, Giuliani's law licence got suspended, and right-wing British news channel GB News lost so many viewers after their first week that their top-rated programme was beaten in the ratings by the Welsh-language version of Paw Patrol. One of the other newses we missed was the sentencing of Derek Chauvin, who got 22 and a half years for murdering George Floyd, which was simultaneously surprisingly long and nowhere near enough. Following the sentencing, QAnon supporters took a short break from insisting JFK Jr. is about to show up any minute at a Trump rally to claim that Chauvin uh, isn't Chauvin. (laughs) Who the fuck is that? That's not the same guy from the trial, tweeted one of the fucking nutjobs. While another mental case posted, this Chauvin looks nothing like the original on Telegram. It seems that QAnoners, who are absolutely convinced they can interpret the inner workings of the top-secret deep state based on the cryptic breadcrumbs left by a shadowy intelligence operative, are utterly fucking bamboozled by a man having a haircut. (laughs) Excellent. Philosophically, he's still the same person. Yeah. Early on in the phenomenon of crowdfunding, I signed up for a project that musician Neil Young was hawking around as an alternative high-definition digital pocket music player. Having convinced various established and new musicians that the MP3 format had solved them down the audio river, he promised endorsed versions of these so-called Pono players to those who gave enough. As an audiophile, it was an attractive idea, if a bit niche. He gathered enough cash, shipped the players, the format wars moved on, phones replaced separate MP3 players, and the project was shelved three years later. This seemed to be about par for the course, time-wise, for various other things that have caught my eye, if not my cash. 
up-to-date 2021 news, though, niche clientele suspended lawyer Rudy Giuliani hopped on the bandwagon and threw himself on the largesse of public opinion to crowdfund his legal defence expenses. If anything is going to tell you how relevant you continue to be, it's not just that music companies don't adopt your format ideas, but rather that your crowdfunder closes at 0.1% of your target. Rudy's dreams of capitalising on the love of the people to raise the $5 million he needs ended when he was rudely awakened to the fact that no one loves him enough to actually give him of their pockets as well as their hearts. To date, the closing date, today, Rudy knows for sure that 92 people actually love him, but, yeah, not so much, only to the tune of $9,600. That's going to hurt, hey? (laughs) On the last episode, I chose not to cover a story about Marjorie Taylor Greene, the congresswoman who looks like if there was a bigger, uglier Wayans brother who starred in the movie White Chicks instead of Marlon. Anyway... MTG, who has previously said awful things about the Holocaust, went to the Holocaust Museum, was shown around by someone who managed to convince her it was a bad thing, and then made a public apology about the things she'd said. I didn't cover it because, while it's fucking ridiculous that a 47-year-old woman is just learning the Holocaust was bad, I didn't want to mock the idea of learning and personal growth, no matter how small and probably disingenuous. But fuck that, because she's at it again. Three weeks after her faux contrite, almost certainly Kevin McCarthy-mandated apology in which she said there was nothing comparable to what the Nazis did, she compared Biden's proposed door-to-door vaccination programme to medical brown shirts forcing people to be part of a human experiment. Similarly incapable of articulating disapproval of the Proud Boys and, let's face it, simply grasped the notion that Nazis were bad... Trump is reported in the new book by Michael Bender called Frankly, We Did Win This Election, as having said to his then chief of staff, John Kelly, well, Hitler did a lot of good things. This, of course, is in the historically satirical tradition of saying, well, at least Mussolini got the trains to run on time and Attila the Hun was kind to his horses. Except, as Kelly discovered in trying to convince Trump that even if they did have nice, smart uniforms, you cannot ever say anything supportive of Adolf Hitler. You just can't. Trump had a total disregard for the history of any race, religion or creed. Apart from being a bit shocking, it's no surprise really, as Donnie sees it, if it's not about Trump, then it's not worth a fuck. Shamed and humbled by the revelations in the new book, Trump's representatives issued an immediate apology, calling it made-up fake news put about by a disgruntled former general or somebody that got fired. Well, two out of three is not bad, I suppose. The same book also alleges that Trump knew how to deal with the BLM protests that followed the murder of George Floyd, but was prevented from doing so by members of his administration. Which is pretty lucky, since Trump's solution was to beat the fuck out of the protesters, just shoot them. When his staff pointed out how fucking crazy that was, he said, well, shoot them in the leg or maybe the foot. Holy shit. You must respect my authority. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God's sake. Okay, let's play a game. 
We're going to set up a new online hub to challenge the woke tyranny of big tech because we're fed up with them scraping all our personal details and selling them to sinister beings on the dark web. We'll need properly encrypted doodabbers and shiz like that. Oh, and you've got to play the role of a fuming gammon-faced right-winger whilst doing so. Okay, go. And the winner is long-time Trump apologist Jason Miller, who's set up Getter, G-E-T-T-R. Yeah, me neither. Tinder, Grinder, Getter. Anyway, apparently Getter, I quote, is the marketplace of ideas. We will not cancel people for their political opinions and Getter offers far more features and better technology than anything else out there. Yeah. I can't believe that's what they went with for their discretion. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, because it doesn't. Launched on 4th of July... Immediately hacked in like 20 minutes by at Juba Baghdad, who replaced the details of top account holders Mike Pompeo, America's Conservative Union Chairman Matt Schlapp, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, and even Jason Miller himself, scraping their login details, email, date of birth, and other personal information through a glaring hole he pointed out in their API server to them at Getter they weren't interested. One would be remiss, not to mention the extraordinary amount of furry porn involving Sonic the Hedgehog that has also flooded Getter. Salon, the online newspaper, has verified that the Getter site is now attempting to ban accounts posting Sonic porn, which has provoked protests from left-wing trolls eager to argue that Miller's team is violating their own mission statement of free expression, all of which has done nothing to impress Trump. Apparently, he's not interested in signing up, probably because he's got that small orange mammal constantly humping his bald head already. Kevin McCarthy has drawn a line in the sand and announced that there are some things you can do as a Republican member of Congress that simply cannot stand and will result in the loss of your committee assignments. No, it's not helping to incite an insurrection like Mo Brooks or fundraising alongside Holocaust-denying white supremacists like Paul Gosar or sex-trafficking minors like Matt Gates, or constantly comparing life-saving measures to Nazi Germany like Marjorie Taylor Greene or speaking at QAnon rally like Louis Gohmert or covering up sexual abuse like Jim Jordan or, I mean, I could go on, but... No, the thing that will result in the loss of your committee assignments is accepting an invitation from Nancy Pelosi to sit on a bipartisan select committee to investigate the January 6th insurrection. It's weird. Despite claiming that it either wasn't that bad or was Antifa or was FBI agents leading the whole thing or was just a normal tourist visit, the GOP seem really, really keen to never, ever find out the truth. Mm, Funny that. Yeah. Well, a lot has happened in Sainted Albion since we last spoke. And then again, not much. Former health secretary, oh yes, and sex policeman, huh? <laughs> Matt Hancock, sex policeman. Yes, remember when he got enraged at government advisor Professor Neil Ferguson for breaking lockdown rules to visit his mistress and call for his resignation in March 2020. And former health secretary, yes indeed, Mr Hat Mancock only got filmed snogging his girlfriend, who he'd appointed as an advisor at £1,000 a day, in the corridor outside his office, slap-bang in the middle of the latest lockdown, where the rules included no getting anywhere close to anyone outside your immediate family. He, of course, apologised. Boris, of course, accepted his apology and called the matter closed. The entire world, including the tabloid press but only because there was snogging involved, got enraged. And for once, the press held into account. The news cycle didn't wheel past 
and Hancock resigned. Boris appointed Sajid Javid the next day. After all, much better to have your enemies inside the tent pissing out than outside pissing in. And then set about rewriting history, implying that he, Boris, was the one that made Matt leave. And when everyone in the world and the press pointed out that he'd called the matter close, he simply repeated, we had a new man in post the next day. Well, yeah, and? And how has nothing changed? Well, the record goes round again, unlocking too early, cases will rise, there will be U-turns, and we'll lock down again. Or will we? Because Boris will do whatever's popular. Fuck you and the consequences, and that's official. Currently, he's claiming England's soccer squad's victories in the European Cup and the youngest British player to reach the fourth round of Wimbledon ever as his own, despite his immigration policies meaning that the squad would consist of only three players and Emily Raducanu would have to finish her A-levels in an offshore detention vessel. Despite his 2020 fortitude and bulldog grit to do everything in his power to send the virus packing, He's telling us now that we have to live with it, as he can't be asked any longer, because people are associating him with bad things, like no holidays, not being able to see Gran, and death, and stuff like that. If there is a reductio ad Churchillium fallacy, well, this is it. It's like Winston throwing in the towel and surrendering by Christmas 1939, because the people who voted for him might not do so again, as they're a bit fed up with blackouts and rationing and the blitz and Nazis and stuff. Churchill was right, of course, they didn't vote him back in. And thus, the post-war socialist health, housing and education policies that the Tories have been destroying ever since were born. Plus ça change, plus la même chose. Thousand pounds a day is not yeah. enough to be kissing Matt Hancock. No. And no. I think part of the shock that was felt by the British public was, Jesus Christ, he's had sex with two women. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel sorry for his wife, um, just because she's, you know, married to Matt Hancock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he's got children that probably look like him. Oh, that's really unfortunate, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. That's yeah. terrible. And her name's on the birth certificate. I oh, know. Hmm. Yeah. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com. And if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. If you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump. Just like our strawman level patrons Max Beaver, Kaz Tui, Steve Bickle, Schmutz, Mark Reiki, and Amber R. Buchanan, and our top true Scotsman level patron Lauren. Thank you so much, everyone. We really do appreciate your support. You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by The Outbursts and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right, go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. So it's part of the show. It's the... What, why, why, why am I stumbling over this in 78 episodes in? What the fuck? <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.